At long last, another Salt City Hoops podcast. Dan and Ken Clayton here, ready to break down all the recent happenings in the Utah Jazz's world. The Jazz finally stopped the bleeding with a skid-busting win, but then they get four to six weeks worth of bad news. Uh, So here to talk about it, I'm Dan Clayton, the associate editor of Salt City Hoops, and across the country from me, but right here in this little digital convo, is my brother Ken. Ken, how's it going? Hey, doing good. Uh, We've got it nice and cold for your upcoming visit to New York City, so you're welcome for that. Well, my wife's not going to appreciate that. We did an outdoor little event this morning, and it was... I think we were pushing 90 today on November 12th. Um, in fact, she, and then afterwards she was sat by the pool. So I'm not sure she'll appreciate cold, but we'll yeah. deal with it. Well, you know, I figure people live in, people who live in Phoenix probably just generally speaking love cold, right? So we, we uh, <laughs> cooled it down here. Um, yeah. Ken said it out this way because actually we're going to get a chance to catch the Jazz in person this Friday when they face the Brooklyn Nets. But, um, but we wanted to get together and talk less about this upcoming Nets game, a little bit perhaps about the last Nets game, last night's Nets game, um, but only to the degree that it kind of fits into some broader topics that we've been uh, that we've been talking about. So, you know, like I like I mentioned, when we decided to record this podcast, it was largely about kind of the the situation facing the Jazz and a four game losing streak and their or people who said, you know, hey, Ken and Dan, can you jump online and talk about kind of how bad is it and, and give us some perspective and what's going on? And then, of course, you know, the Jazz break that break that four-game funk and then get kind of worse news <laughs> than if they had just lost on Saturday night. So um, right. Rudy Gobert will miss a, at least a month, a month to a month and a half. He'll, he'll be reevaluated in four weeks because of a bone bruise found when they did an MRI on the knee that uh, that got dinged on Friday night against the Miami Heat, um, Ken, I, what do you what? Give me the prognosis. What does this mean for the 2017-18 Jazz? Well, it's a blow. There's no way to cushion that. Um, you know, while I've been, I, I don't want to use the word disappointed, but I haven't been as um, excited about. Rudy Gobert's play this season thus far as I was last year, but he's still probably the linchpin to the team. I mean, he was certainly on the defensive end. And then of course his offense, at least last year was, was greatly utilized. And that's been a problem this year that we'll probably get to talking about. Um, so it's been, so, so, you know, it's going to be tough. They're going to be replacing, you know, 34, 36 minutes a game of high level, all NBA second team caliber player, um, even if he slid a little bit, and he's not all NBA second team thus so far this year. They're still replacing a lot of important minutes, and they're going to have to do that in some ways that probably shouldn't excite us, but in some other ways that probably will be good. So, well, and we'll get to that too, I'm sure. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, they they have to replace. No, they, they don't just have to replace 34 to 36 minutes. They have to replace their best player, and really the player who. Kind of yeah. the identity that they've built was based on his emergence as a star level player. And, and even before Gordon Hayward left this team, the way that they kind of pivoted what they were going to be about as, as a unit came from Rudy Gobert becoming as good as he became. So he's really, um, you know, beyond kind of 
offense, defense, qualifications, whatever. Like he's he's kind of the soul of the team, and so it'll be interesting to see yeah. the degree to which they kind of re- reinvent. Um, you know, not that Quinn Snyder's going to um, going to approve or ask for a, a, a huge departure from the principles that the Jazz believe in, but it'll just be interesting to see how much they try to kind of shift what's made the Jazz the Jazz over the last two years. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you're, you're right. It goes beyond minutes. It's it's also, I mean, like I said, you're replacing a guy who last year was all NBA second team. And, and depending on position, how you look at position, some people thought he could have been first team. But uh, it, it, it leaves a hole. And Quinn Snyder has got to figure out how to how to cover that. And the players need to step it up. And Or it's going to be a long stretch of the season. And we're going to start hearing the T word very early in the season, which actually we were a little bit the other night after that fourth loss. So, you know, okay. Teapot dome scandal. Um, Tribeca tink. Oh, tank tank. That's the tank, T word. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, you know, let's, let's just, let's go there. Um, not, not to the question of should the jazz pack it in? Because I think that that's kind of a ludicrous question after 13 games. Um, Right, you know, even Mark, even Mark Cuban, who's clearly tanking this year, has said publicly that they're that they're not going to get earnest about kind of maximizing their draft chances until they're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. To which I'd reply, Mark, you're basically eliminated from the playoffs already. But uh, but I guess you know the the question that precedes the tank question is, you know, does fifteen to twenty go bearless games make the jazz not a playoff team this year tough question um no i don't think so um and in fact it probably helps provide a kind of a test kitchen for some of the issues we were seeing up until last night of um how the team is put together particularly the starting lineup um the spacing, the lack of reliable scoring in, well, really the whole lineup. But, uh, you know, and we knew that was coming from the moment that Hayward signed to go play in Boston. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a test and it's also going to coincide with a tough stretch on the schedule a little bit in, in coming up in December. But no, I don't think it's an automatic. This, this knocks them out of the playoffs for certain. There's, there's some opportunity there. So for the record, there are 13 teams in the Western Conference that the, that the website 538 gives at least a 44% chance of making the playoffs. All 11 of those teams have a projected record of 40 wins or more. The Jazz are, the, are, are currently in, the, you know, this, this ranking is a little bit of a pendulum in that it, relaxed, it reacts to recent play. And so, you know, teams that are hot, it's going to move their projection up. And you have to remember that when you're looking at these projections and you, you have to say, you know, Oh, Minnesota Timberwolves at 53 wins. Well, then they lose a couple games and lo and behold, you know, this, this projection system corrects for that and brings them back to 47 wins where they're at currently. But right now the jazz are ranked 11th out of those 11 likely, I shouldn't say likely playoff teams, but likely 40 plus win teams. Um, and I should say that this that this ranking system does not, um, you know, it, it's blind in terms of understanding kind of pl- 
player impact and injury. So I would assume that this ranking does not know that Rudy Gobert isn't going to play in the next 15 to 20 jazz games. Um, so I, I, you know, obviously I think everybody realized this before the Rudy injury, the jazz were already a borderline playoff team. I guess the question is, are they still a borderline playoff team or are they a, a, a team that, that this news moves further from being able to um, set their sights on a, on a low playoff seed. And, and I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I think they can, I think they can probably hang on if they can find ways to, um, to be a little different fundamentally from who they've been in the past. Meaning, you know, like, like we saw last night against Brooklyn. Now we're going to get to see, um, them operate with a little bit more space. We're going to see them go small a lot more often. Um, we still haven't heard when Joe Johnson is going to be back, but now he becomes really important, as does Thabo Cephalosha, as does Jonas Yurebko. Um, and then, you know, obviously it goes without saying, without saying, excuse me, that now Favors is just a massively important jazz man in the short term. Oh, yeah. Um, favors is hugely important from a... Uh, need him to play X number of minutes, need him to not be in foul trouble, and knock on wood, I hate to even say it out loud, need him to not get injured. Because if he goes down, your starting center is Epe Udo, and while he started out the season with that great plus-minus, and we all thought that we'd found some gem uh, playing in Turkey, recent play has not been as stellar. So, you know, he's got some fundamentals going for him and, and especially on the defensive end, but he's, you know, if he's your starting center, there are going to be issues. And then your backup center is, I guess, uh, Bradley, Bradley. If yeah. that, if it comes, if it comes down to that. So, I mean, you know, look out if, if, if anything happens to favors, hopefully nothing does. Um, he's looked good. He certainly looked good last night. Uh, that would be, we're recording this on Sunday. That would be the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets game at, the Vivint Smart Home Arena. Um, since we have two Brooklyn Net games in six or seven nights, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's you know it's Dave, Derek Favors is incredibly important. The thing I look at though is now this team, the identity changing, like you said, this is going from a Rudy Gobert anchor team to a team that is essentially always going to be playing small ball now. Uh, because you, you're going to start Cephalosha. You're going to play, really, the power forward minutes are going to belong to Cephalosha, Joe Johnson when he comes back, and probably Joe Ingles as the third option. Um, it's not a really long team, but in today's NBA, maybe you can get by with that. Well, you know, I'm I'm not 100% sure that they'll start Cephalosha nightly. I think starting Cephalosha last night made sense because they were playing the Nets, who whose starting four is either Rondé Harless Jefferson or Damari Carroll, depending on who you think is the four and who you think is the three, which is another way of saying the Nets right. just don't start a four, right? The Nets start with Mozgov and four littles, and that's kind of how they play. So I think Tabo made some sense. But then you look at tomorrow night when they face um, Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns, and I, I don't even know who they've had starting. I assume still Gorgie Jang. Um but, you know, I, I guess I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me if there were nights where they said, okay, tonight Thabo doesn't make sense. But then, again, what do you do? Because a lot of the a lot of the real quality traditional big men that the Jazz counted on, I mean, really, there were, there were two of them, three if you count Epe. I mean, 
even Jonas, who is probably a yeah. traditional four in terms of size, is certainly not a traditional four in terms of style of play and and bodying up with people. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. And that's right. why I say that, I, like the Jazz are going to have to kind of figure out a new identity on the fly. Sorry, you were saying something. No, I was just saying, yeah, I forgot about Jarebko when I was going through that. So, yeah, he's obviously another p- potential uh starter or and certainly minutes guy at the four position so yeah maybe he gets to start alongside favors or or maybe in a game with two you know larger bigs they they move favors back to the four and start udo at the five and and go that way for us you know and see how that goes so you're right they do have they do have options but i do think we're going to see we're already seeing a lot of minutes of a, of a Ingles or cephalosha at the four and that's going to continue to happen. And, and and Johnson, while I know he has that stretch four ability, and we saw that, uh, you know, that was great last year against the Clippers in the playoffs. You know, it doesn't work in every lineup. It's not just the the magic, the magic uh, bullet that fixes everything uh, when when in the past Favors has gone to the bench. So it's just it's just you know more variables, which yeah. happens in the NBA. Well, welcome to the NBA. Well, not not only do I think, you know, you can't count on Joe Johnson in every matchup to be the four. I also think, you know, you mentioned Jingles and um and I think he is so not I'm a sorry, four. did you mean I'm sorry, did you mean Jingle and Joe? I said I meant what I said and I said okay. what I meant. Um <laughs> Sorry, Bowler. It's Jingles. It's Jingles. Jingles is a cool nickname. Jingle and Joe Sounds like a used car salesman somewhere in I don't know. Anyway, um, you know I don't think I don't think Joe Ingles is a four at all. Um, and in fact, they use him more as a hybrid guard than as a hybrid forward. Um, now I know that there are lineups where he's technically the second biggest guy, and that's and that's why a lot of people say, "Oh, Joe Ingles is playing the four. He's really not. He's either no, I know. He's either out there with Thabo or he's out there with." Rodney Hood, who's also 6'8", or else he's just out there with a group where, again, they're playing four-out basketball or five-out basketball, and Joe's playing something. And they only do that when Joe doesn't have to guard a four. I I still defy anybody, and I've had this debate with a lot of people who say, Joe can play the four, Joe can play the four, and my response to them is, show me one time where Quinn Snyder has ever had Joe Ingles matched up to defend a four as a primary defensive assignment. You won't find it. That's because the Jazz know Joe is a combo one, two, three guy. He's not he's not even a small ball big man. He just that's not the style he plays. Those aren't his strengths. So, you know, I, I know that's a little bit of a rant, and I'm and I I I know you know better. I'm just sort of railing against a broad perception here. But I think that yeah. even limits the options even more. Cause again, you know, there are only so many combinations you can you can do with now Really, I mean, like 12 healthy players, right? I mean, maybe they call up Eric Griffin, their two-way player, um, who's with the Salt Lake City Stars, who are, by the way, 0-4. I, I mean, <laughs> like, it, I, I just don't know that there that there are great answers because they're they're without Rudy Gobert. They're still without Joe Johnson. We don't, you know, he could come back sometime in the next couple of weeks. We don't know. And then, obviously, they're without Dante Exum. So just there are getting to be fewer feasible combinations of you know five capable basketball players you can throw together and and you know less so when you think about putting competent capable bigs out there as well so it'll it'll be interesting um and and it'll be 
especially weird if a team that has defined itself as kind of this anachronistic, we're going to play two bigs and just screw the current trends of today's NBA. It'll be funny if they become by necessity just an all small ball all the time type of outfit. Yeah. Um, So the Jazz now, one more home game. Then they're going to head out on the four-game road trip where we're going to catch them in uh, in Brooklyn next Friday. Then a homestand, and then some back and forth, and then they and then and then potentially, if if Rudy hits that early stage, or early return date of four weeks, they he comes back in time for a seven-game, six-game road trip, and and maybe it's a little later than that. Maybe he doesn't come back till Christmas, and and if it's six weeks, maybe they even hold him out until the start of the new year, just depending on how he's doing. But it's going to be a, an interesting schedule. What do you what do you look at there as far as you know? People have been talking about how December is a tough schedule. How does that look to you going forward? Um, well, without a doubt, I think this was a this was a period that was always going to be a little challenging for the Jazz. Um, I think they needed to make hay during this home heavy stretch, and it happens to unfortunately have been while they were kind of figuring out some existential things and, and struggling with, you know, the offense a, a bit. Well, the offense for sure, and then the defense a, a bit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then they also had a couple of games where the defense just wasn't working, particularly against Toronto and Houston. So I think they left some some budgeted wins on the table, and, and now they have to go back and get them somewhere. And I'm not sure I, I see where they get a whole bunch of those back. I think... I think tomorrow night they'll be underdogs against Minnesota. Um, then they have that four-game Eastern trip. The only one on that trip that I think Utah can consider themselves favorites is uh, is the one we'll be out on Friday here in Brooklyn. Um, you know, New York is a is an above 500 team at least for the moment, and and looks like they're. Actually, New York looks like they're benefiting from the Ewing theory. That's Bill Simmons' term for, you know, when a when a high usage, low efficiency superstar leaves a team and they get better, um, a la Rudy Gay or a la Ewing, who who the theory's named for. Um, yeah, you know, New York lost Carmelo Anthony and then almost instantly became a competent basketball team. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, New York will be tough. Orlando will be tough. They're offensively looking pretty. Um, pretty legit after you know a dozen or so games and then Philly is a team that you know is on again off again but you go into their gym and you know they just blitz the jazz for a seven point victory in Salt Lake City so I think this trip will be tough and then and then fortunately for the jazz after that they have another stretch where they play um, six of eight at home and and some of those are um some of those are gettable games, especially the Bulls. But yeah, I mean it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough month, I think, without Rudy Gobert. Um unless um and, and I guess this is where we could start to talk about some of the other stuff that we were that we had planned to talk about before the Rudy injury, which is just uh, you know, how do the Jazz figure out the offense and and, and you know, certainly last night I think offers some interesting conversation points around you know what Derek what Derek favors could look like when he operates with with space um, and with an empty middle and and without other bodies to drive into on the on the pick and roll dives um, you know I, I think I think he is kind of the hope maybe 
maybe he can help give Ricky Rubio the space to get his mojo back a little bit. Um, Rodney Hood has once again been really, really inconsistent to start the season. Um, And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that that three-man that three-man lineup of Rubio favors Gobert has been a challenge. Well, well, and I think it goes a little bit, and you kind of touched on these too. It goes beyond that as well. I think that the fourth man then is Rodney Hood, and I think teams are, until he becomes a consistent guy who who you really have to count on hitting shots and having a great night, they're always going to make him prove it before they go out and guard him. So there's one more guy to clog. And then I just have a pet theory that I, even though Joe Ingles was, what, what did he end up, third in three-pointing shooting percentage last year? Something like that. I don't think defenses, yeah, I don't think defenses generally give him the respect that they ought to given his shooting last year. And so I think they they cheat off him just a little bit. So I think that whole lineup is, you know, people have talked on and on about can Gobert and Favors play together, but I, I think it's even beyond that. I think even if... Uh, favors were swapped out for somebody else there's just there are not enough guys who really demand the full 100 percent attention of a defense so i think teams feel like they can gamble a whole lot more and so far well not that's not completely true the first five six games they were mostly wrong because rubio was hitting hood had a couple of good games although he wasn't stellar in a couple either but then uh, you know, since then, Rubio's gone off. Uh, you know, shooting has been up poor. Uh, Hood's been up and down. You know, as, and as you get more of that, I think teams are just going to pack it in more and more and say, prove it. Now, last night, Brooklyn Nets come in, and the only difference in the starting lineup, anyway, is Cephalosha starts. He's not exactly a career shooting the lights out three-point shooter, three, uh, 34.5% in his career. But I think that helped. It got a big man out of the out of the lane, and it spread the floor a little more. And then the, the second fact was it was the Brooklyn Nets. They're not exactly they're, – they're not playing well, and the Jazz were able to take advantage and, and get a win, although it got a little closer there at the end than it needed to. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's, that's what I thought was funny about um... – there were a lot of people, including very smart people, by the way, like people who I respect their basketball minds a lot, um, and then people who perhaps less. So but there were a lot of people who reacted to last night by saying, like, oh, this proves it. You know, obviously the fact that the Jazz couldn't win four straight and then, you know, as soon as the favors Rudy pairing got broken up by, by circumstance, they win a game. So this obviously proves that that, that that pairing was the issue and that, you know, favors needs to move back to being a full-time center. And one of them needs to come off the bench. And, um, and I think that that's really an irresponsible way to treat a one game sample, especially when that one game came against the Brooklyn Nets at the end of a long road trip on the second night of a back-to-back at elevation. I mean, you know, that was almost a scheduled loss for Brooklyn. And so it was great that the jazz were able to, um, you know, get the bad taste of four straight losses out of their mouths. But, you know, A, I don't agree with the premise that the last night proved anything other than, hey, Derek Favors can still be pretty good when they involve him in the offense. And B, man, be careful what you wish for, because all the people last night saying, "Uh uh-oh, 
Quinn Snyder now has to figure out what to do with Rudy Gobert <laughs> and Derek Favors. Um, I hope they wash their mouths out with soap tonight because, you know, that's a, that's a tough blow to the Jazz. No, I'm yeah, not actually it saying that it's their fault by, by Jinx proxy, by the way. I just, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for because now we'll see um, what happens if the Jazz can only start one of those two. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, and I look back, I was thinking as you were talking about it, go back 12 months from right now, the, the, those wing positions, even though Gobert and Favors were starting, well, Favors was a little in and out too at that, at that stage, cause he was coming back from the injury. But even with the, when those two played, you had two guys on the perimeter most of the time who demanded the attention of a defense in Hill and Hayward. And then you had Hood who didn't demand it. You can have one of those guys out there and still, for the most part, space the floor, but you certainly can't do it. I mean, what we've seen is you can't do it right now with Rubio, Hood, and apparently Ingles, even though I think people are a little wrong with Ingles and then they end up paying for it with him more often than they do with the other two. Well, I think I think teams are conscious of Joe as a spot-up shooter. Like I've seen a lot of teams so far in the Jazz's first 13 games be aware of him in terms of trying to run him off of open three-point shots, but but that's a secondary concern. Meaning you'll leave him open knowing that if you go help on someone else and then the ball swings to Joe, you'll have time to run at him and make him put the ball on the floor and go into yeah. the paint. And teams love giving Joe the pull-up mid-range shot. Um, in fact, when when Rubio started clanking his pull-ups on the pick-and-roll, the Jazz started putting Joe Ingles in the pick-and-roll to to basically say, oh, well, they're, they're not going to give Joe, who's a knockdown shooter, those same open 18-footers, are they? Well, guess what? They will. Defenses will give yeah. guys that shot, even if they're good shooters. And Joe has not been hitting that 18-foot shot. And Rodney Hood has not been hitting that 18-foot shot. And even if they were making it, it's not necessarily a totally sustainable shot that you want to have your offense built around. It's, at some point, and this is why I think that the whole slump that the Jazz had been in, and, and we probably shouldn't use past participle tense there, like, you know because they beat yeah. the Brooklyn Nets. This offensive slump that the Jazz are trying to figure out, I really think it comes down to the ball handlers. I think it's mostly a Rubio and a Rodney thing. I, I really think that those two guys need to figure figure out how to be effective when the, pick, when the defense responds to pick and rolls by having two guys follow the roll man down into the paint. They need to figure out all the different counters they can do and not just pull up from 17 every time. Um, because as we've seen, Ricky can have a really great week where he sinks every one of those. He can also have a week where he's over a million and it really hurts the jazz and, and stalls their offense. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen that for several days. Uh, although last night was the exception finally, thanks to the nets. Yep. Um, can it, can the Jazz? There's what 69 games left. How many how many of those nights are the Nets free? Could they just like schedule the Nets <laughs> to come back in every time they they need a quick uh, something to get them right? I'm I'm not sure the schedule is alterable at this point. All right. I I'll, I'll put in a call to Adam Silver's office and see, but uh, I I think we're pretty much stuck with just seeing the Nets one more time Friday night in Brooklyn and then uh, <laughs> moving on to. Uh, tougher teams with a few exceptions there are, what are the three there are three two win teams remaining in the league so um there are there are worse teams 
at least as it looks presently. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's that's my take on the Jazz's struggles. I think it's I think it's mainly a Ricky thing. Um, you know, teams are happy to let Ricky shoot. And by the way, even Ricky's passing has has come and gone as well. Um, I don't think he's quite figured out how to. I don't. I think he's still in the process of building chemistry with both of those bigs. Um, yeah. Obviously, he'll have four to six weeks off from working on the the Rudy chemistry, but um, you know he's sent a lot of he's fired a lot of bad passes over the outstretched arms of Favors and and Gobert. Um, so I think that's a thing. And then the and then the other thing is you know as exciting as Donovan Mitchell's start has been, he's still and again last night was an exception. Thank you Nets. Um, but he's still been a remarkably inefficient player. Like he's been scoring points, but he has been scoring points because he's been throwing up a lot of shots. And so that's another thing that, you know, the jazz need to find guys who are willing to put pressure on the defense, but they also need to find people who will put pressure on the defense to, you know, good results. And then maybe that's the key that gets defenses to start rethinking the way they approach the jazz. Yeah. I'm sure you watched, uh, at least bits and pieces of the Philadelphia feed uh, of the Jazz Sixers game this past week, and heard the Sixers announcers going on and on and on about Mitchell's shot selection. Yeah, not yeah. even selection as much as just frequency. Uh, sometimes I don't, don't even think they're bad shots, but they were just pretty openly mocking him for the frequency of the shots. Yeah, every now and then, um, especially if it's a game with uh, a night with a lot of NBA games, I don't get a choice if I want to watch it on TV. Um, on yeah. an HD channel. So that night I was forced to to stick with the Philly guys, which is fine. They have a pretty good TV crew. Um, but yeah, during that fourth quarter, when he took 11 of his 21 shots, they were just like, oh, Donovan Mitchell again? Like, what? you know, who does this kid think he is, basically? Um, that's a paraphrase, by the way. They didn't say that. Um, and actually, that's what caused me um, to go back. I did a video a video thread at one point this week where I looked at each of his 21 shots from that night because, yep. you know, like to me and to the Philly announcers, I felt like, really, Donovan? Like, really? <laughs> you know, you're you're surrounded by a lot of pretty good basketball players and, and, you know, some of those felt like they were a little forced. So I did go back and I looked at all 21. And, you know, in fairness to him, I think mostly I was surprised that uh, mostly I was surprised that the shots were of better quality than I remembered watching live. Although there was a stretch in the second half where it was just like, you know, 15 seconds left on the shot clock. He's got a guy right on him and he rises up and tries to shoot from 17 and he can get that shot off because he's a special athlete. But is that a good shot with 15 left, 15 seconds left in the shot clock? And I think there are two schools of thought. I'm in the school of thought that, no, that you know, if that's the best thing you've got available to you with 15 seconds, then you trust the offense and you keep working. I think there are some people out there who say the kid's going to be a special scorer, and you don't want to necessarily turn off the 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 mechanisms mentally or the instincts that make him look for his shot. So rather than tell him, you know, hey rookie, rein it in, you just kind of let him figure that out by firing away. I think that's a pretty dangerous thing to do, especially if you're you know, a team trying to make the playoffs. So that's that's another one of those things that I think we have to watch closely as it relates to this funk that the Jazz have been in. 
as well as you know how they're going to survive without their best player for the next four to six weeks. Yeah, no, and you're right about Mitchell. I mean, he's he's got to learn a lot, but he's also in a situation where they can't. They don't. They don't really have time to wait for him because I mean, the next option for behind him when once Dante Exum went out for probably the season is what are they going to do? Play Royce O'Neal more? I mean, they could play. They could play Howell Neto more, but uh, you know, there aren't a lot of options. So Mitchell's getting more minutes than. He likely would have at least to start the season. He could have earned more, but he, he's he's been thrown out there. And yeah, a little self control would be would would probably be good. Although you had a great thread showing that his his shots weren't universally bad, even though in the moment they seemed like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you bring up a good point about Neto, um, who I am fundamentally behind. Um, although he looked pretty mortal last night as well. And then that makes me start to think about, you know, the Jazz have Tony Bradley on the roster who may get pressed into some emergency service in the next four to six weeks, which kind of scares me because I don't think he has looked NBA ready um, when we've seen him in preseason and even in summer league. Um, he had one good summer league game, but for the most part, he still looks pretty lost. And then you know, with their two-way spots, they got Eric Griffin and Nate Wolters. I don't think Nate Wolters is an NBA player. Um, Griffin, I haven't seen enough to... I guess my point is, and, and this isn't something we budgeted time to talk about, so I can just make this point into the void and we can think about it and, and come back to it. Um, but I wonder if the Jazz have done enough with the end of roster spots to where now, when suddenly you're down three guys... And you're having to reimagine the whole rotation and think about new starting lineups. You know the options aren't necessarily there that you'd like to have there as as kind of the the break glass in case of fire options. Everyone everyone said as the season was approaching, oh the Jazz are 11 or 12 deep. That's almost never true. Usually when when fan bases say that about their team, it's because they're overestimating at least a couple of guys. Most teams do not have 11 or 12 rotation quality players on their team. And I think that we're going to, we're going to feel a little bit about a little bit of that with the jazz. Right. They, but they did have what I think we counted up earlier on. I guess we didn't, we haven't done a podcast since June. So it must've just been offline that they, they do have 11 guys who have, played as rotation players at some stage but that doesn't always necessarily mean they are you know ready today to be a a rotation player uh guys who come to mind are Neto. yes he has but the reason he has is because he was pressed into service you know maybe without being fully ready meaning in the past um yeah, the end of the bench. Yeah, it it looks a little thin. Uh, the the guy who again we haven't spoken or you know officially on a podcast for ages, but um, you know Royce O'Neal came out of the blue, hasn't looked terribly great. And and in, and in theory, you say he's the fifteenth guy on the bench. Who cares? Well, now you start to care a little bit, right? Because now he's the twelfth guy, and now on a given night, he's he could have to play twenty minutes for you, just depending on what else is happening on the floor. Yeah. So. And if and if Tabo is a full time four, um, which which probably is an exaggeration, but you know a lot of Tabo's minutes are going to come with the four at least until Joe Johnson is back. So if that's the case, then you know now now Burks, who you know against Miami he had a really nice night shooting. Uh, 
you know, last week Andy Larson was saying he was unplayable. So with Burks, it's really like a flip a coin. That's what kind of night you're going to get out of him. Um, you know, Burks now is a guy that they need for 20 minutes a night. Like literally, like you can, you almost can't make a rotation with that where where Tabo is is playing as much for as the Jazz need him to, unless you slot in players like Alec Burks for a crap ton of minutes. So I don't, I don't know. It's um, I think that's what the season is going to be about until late December, early January. Yeah, and and I agree with what you said about Burks. Burks was the first what was it five to six games. He actually was a pleasant surprise. And then he kind of starts looking like the Alec Burks we've seen more recently, which, as you mentioned, Andy said, he's unplayable. An unpleasant then, non-surprise. Yes, exactly. He's a, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's unpleasant. It's exactly what I kind of thought. I mean, I, I will say I was feeling like I needed to eat a little crow after five or six games. And then it was it was I guess it was only four games because the Clippers game, he came out and didn't do he he was just poor. That was only the fourth game of the season, and then he gets a DNP coach's decision in the ne- in the very next game. I assume that was a message, but then struggled for quite a bit since then, and then and then you know has had a a couple of decent games uh, since. Although the Houston game, as I glance at his game log for the season, he was a minus thirty four when he was on the floor. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. that that doesn't seem good, but. Yeah, I think I think in general, Quinn Snyder is against losing by 34 for any stretch of any game. Yeah, right. Um, All right. Well, let me me, can I put you on the spot and then we'll wrap it up. You know, I do so well with these on the spots. Well, just since we're talking about it, let me hear. Let me hear your Rudy's hurt. Joe's still hurt. No Dante Exum for possibly the season. Um, Give me your 10 man rotation. What do you expect to see? tomorrow night when the Jazz face the, the Minnesota Timberwolves? Uh, well, Minnesota Timberwolves, as you mentioned, you know, some some longer guys. So I think tomorrow you see, you're going to see a 10-man rotation with a with uh, favors, obviously. Udo, maybe a couple more minutes or, or a few more minutes for Jarebko to get a little more length in there. Um, I assume Bradley will still not be with the team. I'm gonna. I think they still leave him out for the time being. So those are gonna be your three actual bigs. Maybe they start two of those three and have Cephalosha come off the bench, or maybe they just go smaller. Although I doubt it against Towns. So I gave you three Cephalosha in the mix um, with some certainly some minutes at the four when they feel like they can. Uh, Jingles, A.K.A. Jinglin' Joe. Um, okay, we we can say Jingles, <laughs> we can say Slow Mo Joe, we can say Jose English. I love that one. I think it was Snark Tank Angie Treasure who coined that one. This guy has so many rad nicknames. Why would anybody <laughs> ever use Jinglin Joe when this guy has so many awesome nicknames? Anyway, okay. they do at least they do they do at least use Slow Mo Joe on the on the broadcast. True. Okay, uh, Slow Mo Joe uh, Hood will obviously be playing. Apparently off the bench, I assume, still. Donovan Mitchell, Ricky Rubio, and I got one more to give you a 10-man rotation, and it's getting thin. Who do we have left? Neto. It's either Neto, Burks, or O'Neal, right? Oh, Bur- it's Burks, yeah, okay. Burks. So, so Neto and O'Neal are the two healthy guys who don't play. 
But yeah, you're, you're probably going to play your 10 healthy guys. It's really probably not a challenging question at this point because there's really only I – mean, and Neto still might get some spot minutes, but I think that's, you know, we'll we'll see. Probably That probably has to do with how well Burks and Hood are playing because if they need Mitchell to play more minutes at the two because those two are – one of those two or both of those two are struggling, then Neto probably gets pressed in service and see how, see how he does. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. I do think there's a case that could be made for um, depending, again, on, on Burks and what you get out of Burks, not just on a night-to-night basis, but I think you could make the determination with Burks that, hey, until you're in a position to give us something a little bit more steady, we're going to move you to – um, you know, move you to the netto role where you're the you're the every now and then when someone's in foul trouble guy. Yeah. Um and and you can move Donovan full time to the two. And so so I, I guess that's the only caveat. I think I agree with your ten names. I think that as the as the season goes along and as the next few weeks move along, I think there's a chance you could see Neto get some backup minutes at the one um and even if that means pushing pushing Burks out of the rotation. Although again, it's not like either guy has ever set the world on fire. So No. No. Um might just be, you know, go with go with what the matchups dictate a little bit. I don't know. Well, we'll call that good for tonight. We've uh we've talked people's ears off. So thanks for listening. We obviously will have a bunch more to talk about as we keep an eye on the jazz over the next four to six weeks without Rudy Gobert as we keep an eye on the offensive trends and as we keep an eye on how they kind of reinvent themselves to keep their playoff hopes alive. Thanks for listening. This has been another Salt City Hoops podcast.